Well, once again, Muslim terrorists a terrorist have slaughtered innocent Islamic people and extremists now control terrorist. much of the country. Their brand of justice is brutal and deadly. Newsflash, America. These Muslim extremists are, uh, are alive and well. They are not dead. And their video is not gratuitous. And it certainly is not irrelevant. It is a warning. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast, the official podcast of the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, where we help to educate you beyond the media. Here are your hosts, Howard and Trevor. This week's show is brought to you by Columbia International University, educating people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. And as always, the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies at CIU. The Zwemer Center has been educating the church about Islam since 1979. Pretty much they've been talking about Muslims before it was cool. Definitely. That's been a long time. 30 years? 30 years. All right. All right. It's been a crazy week. Howard, I, uh, I understand you had an encounter with a Muslim this week. Yeah. Yeah, I did. My car uh, actually broke down. And uh, what, Trevor is your friend, right? He's, he's, he's been a friend for a long time, a friend of the family. Well, crazy thing is, week before, Howard says to me, hey, my car seems to be uh, leaking some oil. Um, what do you think about that? Should I, uh, get it looked at? And I, I kind of forgot to look at it before I left. And the next thing I know, I get a phone call and Howard says, Hey man, I, I'm broken down on the interstate. What should I do here? Yeah. And then, <laughs> then you called, uh, Mr. Khan and, uh, it, I mean, he was awesome. He, he towed away my car and, you know, didn't charge me anything. And, uh, apparently he, uh, he has this business where he gets rid of cars. He, you know, junks them or tries to fix them and resell them or whatnot. But, uh, so Trevor basically says, Hey, you need to go talk to this guy and, uh, you know, talk about what you're going to do with the car. So I, you know, I called him up. I was like coming over to, to this guy's house, Mr. Khan's house at nine 30 at night. And I, I text Trevor and I'm like, Hey man, you, you want to come and, you know, hang out with us, you know, cause I think we're probably going to have tea and all that good stuff. And, uh, Trevor's like, no, you got this. Uh, he's, he's a great guy. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure my response was, don't worry. He's Muslim. He's hospitable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't think anything of it. I'm like, okay, Trevor goes to bed early. So I drive over to his house, come in. Of course they serve me tea is awesome. We had a great talk and it went on and, and on. on and on. And I find myself like, I have to figure out how to leave politely because he's not stopping we just kept talking about everything i always tell people that if you're really interested in reaching out to muslims with the message of christ just get ready for intense community because if you really do pour into the muslim community you're going to have really good friends and it becomes intense because you see each other all the time. They're yeah. very communal. Yes, and that's what I kind of figured out. And it was awesome. Actually, it was a great experience because uh, now, even though we only met really once, I feel like I'm like best friends with the guy. Like anytime I see him, I'm like, hey, how you doing? You know, and we just talk about anything. So yeah, I mean, it was it was a great experience. It, and and he t- he took care of my car, so that was yeah. Great. I Howard. I noticed you got a new car. That's right. It's very masculine. If I could get s- describe it to you right now for all you listeners out there, it is a periwinkle blue. Kind of fuchsia, uh, actually. Uh, yeah, it's, it's this blue with a purplish tint. I feel a little awkward trying to put uh, like masculine hunting stickers on the outside just so people don't get the wrong idea about me. So He's actually yep. got a, a, a set of bike racks on the top. I'm, I don't think he even rides a bike. Howard, do you no, ride no, no, a bike? No, 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 no. Those are kayak racks. Okay. Yeah. That's that's, right. that's manly. That's still really manly. But my wheels, they're so tiny. I asked uh, how much it would cost to get my wheels fixed, and they were like, you know, like 50 cents. I mean, it really just wasn't much. <laughs> they're like, we got matchbox wheels for your t- for your car. So, What's great is uh, 
my wife, when he pulls up, she says, oh, is that Howard's new car? I said, yeah, what do you think? She said, it's so cute. And I was like, no, yes, not. it is. That's nothing a man wants to hear about his ride. <laughs> anyway, cute. it was a good experience. Uh, Howard got to meet one of my Muslim friends, and uh, my Muslim friend got to meet Howard. Good times, and uh, just a great opportunity for you know my my Muslim friend to realize that, that there are other Christians out there that are that are kind, like Howard. Yeah, and actually we had a lot in common just to be able to talk about things. He has kids, you know, he has the same worries that everybody else does. So it was really neat to kind of uh, uh, to remind myself, you know, that uh, even though they might come from a different religion or even a, a different nationality, um, you know, they're they're people too. And uh, we had a lot we had a lot of fun, and the tea was awesome. What's funny is last Friday I was at the uh, the local mosque here, and I was leaving early because I had to go pick up my son. From school, and as I'm leaving, I see Mr. Khan in the parking lot. I'm leaving, and he's walking in, and uh, he says, where are you going? Where are you going? I said, oh, I've got to go uh, pick up Benjamin. And he says, did you eat? And I said, no, they just started serving, and, and it's a really long line, so I, I've just got to go. And so he comes flying in there and immediately goes to, to serving the food and like walks me right up to the front, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and my, my philosophy is sort of like when you cut in front of a bunch of people – you never look back. That's right. Just don't look back because you cutter. know people are just, There's got, a cutter. I just want to let everyone know this has got a cutter. But here's the funny thing. In, in the mosque, it's sort of like, well, of course he's going to the front. He's our guest. And I'm just thinking, I feel the daggers. I feel the daggers. <laughs> don't look back. And Mr. Khan's like, it's okay. He's a guest. He's yeah. a guest. Bring him to the front. But so. I bet there were no daggers, right? It, there might have been some. I don't know. I didn't look back. I'm serious. There's I really enough that lived in the States back. long enough. They're like, wait a minute. <laughs> we don't do that here. He is definitely cutting. We form a line. <laughs> you belong to a line. I don't know how many times, Howard, you've traveled overseas yeah. and you're just like, guys, yeah, seriously, can we just form a line? Oh, my and gosh. Something, uh, something about Asia and the lack of the line for yeah. most Americans is just too much. When I was in India, man, you just couldn't help but laugh because the, the, the uh, air, airline you know, worker, the attendant or whatever, she would be like, please, everybody form a queue, right? And <laughs> these, they were just like, what? I mean, they didn't even think. They just like all just gathered around the desk, like five rows deep, just people just like bombarding her with questions and yelling. And I, and I was just like, man, this is, um, this is culture shock, man. And then Howard looks over and I'm wrestling over the top of like <laughs> seven people to get to the front of that. That's right. That I'm formation. like, go get him, Trevor. <laughs> Here's a cutter. Here's a cutter. Just never look back. Principle yep. for the day, when you cut... <laughs> Never look back. That's right. It'll 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 take care of you in the end. All right. So this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about the threat of ISIS because that's in the media all over the place. You can't turn on any news channel and it not be dominated by the discussion surrounding ISIS. Yeah. One thing that uh, I we found that was really interesting is this article. Uh, that CNN put out, or maybe even a video, and it basically says, this is the title, get this, From Glasgow Girl to Bedroom Radical, an ISIS Bride. Mm. So Trevor, tell us what, tell us what happened. What, what, what's going on in this article here? I, I just, can we focus on the title for a second? I mean, <laughs> seriously. CNN is getting classier by the moment. I think Fox and CNN's, you know, their, their, their uh, feud, I think it's making them lose their mind. Who, who can have the most sensational yeah. kind of uh, in-your-face title possible? We're, Bedroom radical? Yeah, we're moving back to yellow journalism, you know? This is just Lessons sad. are not learned, apparently, from history. But yeah, right. sorry. I, Bedroom radical. I got stuck on the title. Yeah. Basically, this... Uh, this young girl 
Ah, her her parents think she's going off to college, and it turns out she goes over to join uh, the Islamic fight in uh, Syria and joins Jeez. ISIS. So she just ups and leaves, and her parents, it sounds they have like no her clue. Parents, yeah, they're shocked. Her whole family is shocked. Well, the next time they hear from her, she basically tells them, uh, I've, I've joined the fight on ISIS. I'm going to be a, a martyr, and hopefully I'll see you on the Day of Judgment. Jeez. And what's really interesting, I think what stuck out to me, is that these guys, these, these, this family is not like this uh, terrorist type or like this uh, really you know, adamant, dogmatic, like you know, we hate Westerners. They're, they're just normal people, and their daughter just kind of ups and leaves. Like it said on, in the article that she was reading books like Harry Potter. Yeah, I've you know, told you about those Harry Potter books. <laughs> Hunger Games. Like, she's not reading, like, uh, you know, uh, any of these inflammatory type uh, type books that uh, would get you, you know, to become militant against uh, the West. I have said so many times that when you think about Islamic radical ideology, it's more of a sociological issue than it is a theological one. She's not staying home at night studying commentaries and the biographies of the Prophet Muhammad. She is literally reading Harry Potter. Okay, so you're thinking the sociological part would be an influence from an external source? Some Wanting to belong. She's on Facebook. I mean, that's what, that's what you see in the article is that she's going on Facebook, she's reading some of these things that are being posted, and mm. she just wants a place to fit. Yeah. And so that would even lead her to move to Syria. That just seems like a huge jump to me. But you're saying that uh, that desire to fit goes so much further than what we even imagine. I think that is innate in every single human being. We yeah. want to belong. We want to fit. We want to be a part of something. And when you live in a society where you see a particular group of people being pushed down or stereotyped, and yeah. maybe you belong to that group in some sort of way, and then you see another group that's fighting for that identity, then suddenly it's a draw. You think it's that she has this real heart for uh, humanity, like injustice, or do you think it has more to do with just her feelings of wanting a place to fit and, and you know, just a, a pure psychological reason? I mean, it's hard to say, but I, I'm just thinking about cults, right? When people join cults, you know, they just they really want a place to fit, and it doesn't really have to do with what the people believe. I don't think because it's not like they're compelling them so much in their minds that they would join a cult and move in with a cult and commit mass suicide as a cult or whatever these cults do. You know, yeah. What I mean, what the research has shown is that a person can go from being, you know, just a moderate, everyday Muslim that has the same hearts and desires as every other human being. For instance, our friend. Um, to a radical in a very short period of time, and it doesn't take a, a theological training seminar to do so. Hmm. It's just sort of feeling that sense of, I don't belong, I don't fit, um, and then they see a place where they could fit, they could fight for something, and that's sort of the process. It's not a long process, and it's certainly not a theological one. That's not to say that all radicals are not theological. Some most certainly are. Sure. Do you think that I'm kind of jumping... Uh, uh, um just off a cliff by saying, comparing ISIS or those kind of radical Islam to cults? I mean, is that, uh, no, is I that too far-fetched, do you think? It's not too far-fetched because I think that's the way a lot of the Muslim world sees some of these radical groups as cultish. Really? Like the people on the ground, just the nationals? Well, yeah, because they see one guy that claims, you know, this guy, the Baghdadi, he claims that he is the new Islamic caliphate. He is the leader of the Islamic world. He is a self-proclaimed leader of the Islamic world. That in and of itself sounds very cultish. So Baghdadi is the, the leader of ISIS. Yes. Okay. And uh, I read somewhere in a couple of articles before that uh, ISIS had previous leaders. So this guy's not even really the first leader of ISIS, but this guy's claiming that he's the leader of all of Islam. 
the entire Islamic world. Okay, so how does that work? Because uh, you just kind of say it. <laughs> kinda, that was his approach. I'm just going to claim it and see what happens. I am in charge. What was that the adage? If you have to say that you're the leader, you're probably not the leader. Yeah, if you're if you're if you're leading and you look back and no one's following. You're just taking a walk. Yeah, that was from John Maxwell. I thought that was pretty profound. <laughs> but, but he does have people following him. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like he's just sort of proclaimed that he is the Islamic world leader and no one's following. People are following him. But in the same sense, of you were making the connection between the cult, you when you have a self-proclaimed leader of a of a group or a, a splinter sect of a religious, uh, and they have a religious affiliation, and people are following them, that does not necessarily mean that it was a theologically compelling argument. It might have just been sort of a movement. Uh, that gave people a place to belong. And that's the case I'm making for this young woman. Got it. So you're kind of separating uh, Islam as a whole from this splinter group. Well, you have to. I mean, if you have 1.6 billion people in the world, and if I just randomly picked 10 Muslims from across the globe and put them together and asked them, what should the Islamic empire look like? I would get six radically different answers, I think. Wow. Okay. So basically as uh, Americans, right, we get this media barrage of ideas and it just seems like for me, like when I watch the media and we talked about, we're trying to make it fun of Fox and CNN, but it kind of seems like the, the idea is that this is most of the Muslim world. They hate us and they want us dead and everybody supports ISIS. But you're saying that that's not the case. I was meeting with a young Muslim man earlier this week and uh, he asked me, he said, Trevor, do you... Can you explain to me what ISIS is? He had no clue. Wait, 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 wait. You were meeting with a Muslim guy and he was asking you about ISIS? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, he, no, he knows my background is studying Islam sure. and that I have, you know, studied this. And so in his mind, he's thinking, well, maybe Trevor can explain this to me. I think he's afraid to ask another Muslim because he honestly doesn't know how they would respond because so many Muslims feel divided over ISIS. Sure. Many Muslims are negative towards ISIS. Yeah. Some Muslims are sympathetic towards ISIS. And he kind of just wants to know what is ISIS all about? What do they believe? Wow. And so uh, after you talked to him about it, what, what, was, what was his takeaway? What did he go away with? I, just from the brief conversation that we had, I think he felt like the the most despicable thing was that the people who suffer the most at the hands of ISIS are fellow Muslims. Wow. And he just felt like any group that would destroy fellow Muslims couldn't be right. Yeah, that, that, that's actually pretty stark because in the media, we're seeing a lot of uh, persecution against Christians. But we're not actually seeing uh, um, the whole the whole scope. I, I guess we're just reading what we want to, or they're reporting what we want to hear. Yeah, the and, things and, that we're interested in. And there is there is persecution of Christians by all means. That's yeah. not to be minimized. No, no, but, absolutely but, not. But in my mind, these Christians have eternal security. Yeah. Uh, when you look at all of these other Muslims that are being lined up and mowed down because they refuse to follow this radical ideology or because they are of a different sect of Islam and they're being mowed down and murdered. Yeah. They're I caught mean, in the crossfire. I mean, this is this radical group and man, it's crazy. It is. It's it's just absolutely crazy. But you're right. We don't see the fact that Muslims are the ones that suffer the most at the hands of radical ideology. So radical ideology in some ways is its own worst enemy. Yeah. So going back to this girl, this Glasgow girl, her name's Aksa, I guess. I don't know if I'm probably butchering the, the pronunciation, but uh, she basically, um, she became 
pretty radical. Like her father says, I don't know when she became this brave. So she was just probably an ordinary girl. So I, I don't know where I'm going with this. Maybe just the idea that ordinary people become extraordinarily militant and do crazy amounts of damage to other people. So, I mean, I guess in ISIS, it's really easy just to say, you know what? These people are crazies, you know, but they had to come from somewhere. They had to be someone's son, someone's daughter. They had to have a, uh, a semi-normal upbringing, right? But then to flip, uh, what it was that Al-Qaeda said that uh, they were too aggressive. They were too uh, brutal. And so they were kicked out, right, of the Al-Qaeda. Well, you, before Baghdadi, you had another leader in Iraq named Zarqawi. And Zarqawi was also a radical, too radical in some sense for even Al-Qaeda. He was the one with uh, the first beheading of the American journalist, uh, wow. Nick Berg. Mm-hmm. And so it, when you see these guys and they're becoming so radical that even the other radicals are saying, hey, you got to tone it down. Wow. It's uh, it's kind of, it's it's yeah, it's it's a little bit crazy. But you're making a good point when you talk about how do they go from just being normal sort of, you know, law-abiding citizens yeah. to radicals. I mean, think of the Boston bombers uh, um, at the Boston Marathon. Yeah. When they interview the friends, they're saying, I don't really know. He was a soccer player. We, yeah, had a normal out. life. Yeah. Had the, CDs, the younger brother was a pothead. <laughs> like and, music. You know, and suddenly yeah. he's willing to commit these crazy crimes. Yeah. Even give up their own life. It's like... It's, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm just trying to think in my own mind, what would that take for me to go that far with my own life? Well, we'll, we'll get into that some because there is some research and there's one particular researcher I, I have in mind um, that I'd like to bring on the show. He's the one that's kind of researching the process of a person going from being at high school, they're attending the mosque regularly, they're uh, pretty much a, just a normal, moderate, everyday Muslim. I, I really just think of them as a normal, everyday person that happens to be Muslim. Yeah. See, his research is really focusing on what are the trigger points that bring them from that to within less than a year being willing to kill others and even themselves for the sake of a radical ideology. Right. And it's fascinating research. Uh, who is this guy? I can't think of his name offhand because he works under a pseudonym. Um, he's got two names, and uh-huh. <laughs> I want to make sure I give the correct name publicly. Right. Yeah, let's, let's be safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but one of the interesting things that he talks about is there's got to be a cognitive dissonant moment. And when you look Where at Where there's like they're not satisfied or something's... No, think about... Yes, but think about the Boston bombers. For yeah. instance, their mother being arrested and being put in jail... Because mm-hmm. she was caught stealing. Sure. And then think of the older brother when he was arrested um, for spousal abuse, or he was, uh, I don't think it was even his spouse at that time, it was his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And then he was not allowed to pursue his dream of becoming an Olympic boxer. And you sort of see these things happening in his life, and he's becoming more and more and more angry. And his idea of the American dream is suddenly this disillusioned sort of jaded. What am I going to do? Yeah, right. And then. All of that's happening, and suddenly he comes across a website, and the propaganda's there, and he buys in, and he's all in. Got it. That, that actually makes a lot of sense. Well, but it's, but it, wasn't, like the, it wasn't like he joined a Quranic study and suddenly came past the, the sword verse, Surah 9, chapter 5, and was like, yes, that's what I have to do. That's not the way it works, I don't, yeah. you know, no matter what the media says. Yeah. There's something else about the media is that uh, I, this is just be like a warfare tactic where the enemy, uh, if you if we were going to war with somebody, the enemy would set up propaganda um, to our own troops, basically making our uh, enemies into like cartoonish evil villains. Mm-hmm. And we did this in World War Two with Hitler. Yeah, we did uh, it with the Japanese, which was actually a lot easier probably with Hitler because he was doing a lot of uh, atrocities, obviously. 
Um, Imagine what it was like to live as a Japanese person in Hawaii post-Pearl Harbor. During during Pearl Harbor, yeah. Uh, But in this case, with the media, it seems like they're doing that with Muslims. I mean, to be honest with you, like ISIS... Uh, I don't know. I just can't help but I think the 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 common American person doesn't know enough about Islam or Muslims or know enough uh, no Muslims to be able to separate uh, that ISIS doesn't represent Islam. You know that's that's <laughs> that's been one of the cries from the Muslim world is uh, when a Muslim commits an atrocious crime, why do we have to define them by their religious identification? Mm. When a Christian commits an atrocious crime, we don't often say a Christian did this. Yeah. But the Muslim world is saying, why do we do it with Muslims? And of course, the media would argue that, well, because they're doing it in the name of Islam. But it does, it's hard to separate. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, it is hard to separate this idea of Muslims being sort of peaceful and loving and Muslims being radical and uh, dangerous. It's hard to know. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of think about it in Christian terms. I mean, there are crazies out there that said, you know, they'll murder somebody and say, God made me do it. But we don't automatically think, you know what, oh, those are all, that's what Christians do. No. Right? We don't have this thought in our mind that, uh, oh, yeah, that represents Christianity. Well, I think it's because we've allowed ourselves to believe that, that there is a true nature of Islam. I hear that term being thrown around so much nowadays, the yeah. true nature of Islam. Yeah. And the bottom line is, I don't believe there is, quote-unquote, a true nature. I just don't. Because if you have a true nature, then you're going to have to somehow draw a connection between why then is there 1.6 billion people around the world that are demonstrating so many varieties of the expressions of their faith when there's really this true nature. I think we're giving way too much credit to to the Quran and the Islamic laws to say that there is, quote-unquote, a true nature. Okay, so explain that to me. Like, for me, I feel like we as Christians think, okay, true nature, that makes sense because we believe in the Bible. And in the Bible, if you uh, understand it and interpret it correctly, right, then you'll get to the true nature of our faith. But you're saying with Islam, it's not that way. What do you say to, say, Westboro Baptist then? (laughs) <laughs> they, they believe they have the true nature of Christianity. Oh my gosh, those are the crazies that we're talking. About. I mean, those guys—they <laughs> do not on. represent Christ uh, to most Christians. I, I, you know, I don't think the public even, even thinks that too. But yeah, okay. So go on. What was your question? What, so no, I'm just the saying the true nature. The true nature of Christianity. Well, it, you know, it's going to depend who you ask because the the Westboro Baptist really does believe that they have the true nature of Christianity. Uh, right. Pope Urban II, when he cried. Uh, for the the murder of people in the Holy Land and said, you know, paradise is your reward or heaven is your reward. Um, let that be the cry of your heart. I'm sorry, but that was not the true nature of Christianity. And right. so it was depending on who you ask. So you're saying that uh, even amongst Christians, the interpretation, you know, is... is uh, it, it varies. It varies. Yeah, right. And so the true nature, I'm, I'm quoting, I'm putting my fingers up, quoting the true nature... It really is uh, up to each person, I guess, when they interpret it. Well, they'll come up with different things. So, Islam, you're saying the same way. Uh, well, I'm saying in Christianity, we do have we have creeds, we have councils, we have denominations, we uh-huh. have uh, historic traditions that we draw from. Right. It's not that just some guy. Do, do you remember uh, Howard and I went to school together many many years ago? And one of the things that we learned, I remember it being said, is that that heresy and cults are started with one person 
reading their reading their Bible in their room late at night alone. <laughs> late at night alone. I don't know why I had to be late at night. Yeah, probably because they're tired. Yeah, I don't know. But but and I think of that, and I think that's kind of what we look at in Christianity, right? If you have this one guy who's starting a new thing and saying, "Hey, I've got this special Kool Aid." follow right, me, right. this is the new interpretation, then we can kind of look at that and say, well, that doesn't go along with the historic faith in the global church. Right. Islam has the same thing. Okay. You following me? Bring it. Bring it. They have schools of law. Uh-huh. So there, there are four different schools of law within Sunni Islam. Okay. Within those schools of law, you have certain ways in which Islamic theology happens. It isn't just some guy reading his Quran in his room late at night coming up with his own theology, unless his name is Baghdadi. Right. Okay, schools of law. Explain that. I don't know what a school of law is. Like, law school? Like, Congress? Like, Bill of Rights? Like, what What, what kind of laws are you talking about? <laughs> okay, let me... Think about it in terms of, like, theological institutions. Uh-huh. So, we have a... Uh, so, the Council of Nicaea. Well, they do. They do have councils, most certainly, and uh-huh. they have what is called the consensus of the scholars. It's a nice Arabic term, the ijma, the, the consensus. Say that the again scholars. slowly. Ijma. 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 That sounds cool. I like that. Yeah, throw that one out. <laughs> um, but these, these Islamic scholars, they, they get together and they wrestle with these issues. They huh. wrestle with them. And so when you hear a person say, well, Islam really is as simple as this. You can pretty much be sure it's not. Right. Because there's these scholars are arguing about it. About it. Think about it. Think about our own Christian history. I mean, yeah. how much wrestling oh my used to go on. I yeah. mean, even burning at the stake at yeah. some times. Spanish Inquisition, uh, heretics, heresies. Yeah, there's. Yeah, yeah. We didn't. We don't take our theology lightly. Mm. Maybe some people do, yeah. but I, I don't personally. Um, I don't think that we should take theology lightly. We should consider that it's gone through this huge process of historical development. Well, Islam has had a similar process. Equally complex. Right. And so that's kind of where we're living in today. So there is no true sense of Islam or true, what is that? The true nature the of true Islam. The true nature. Well, there's yeah. a true nature to Islam to a lot of different people. Right. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. If there were this quote unquote true nature that everybody's supposed to be following, like some will make the case that, oh, well, the, the most radical representation is the truest form. Mm-hmm. They're giving way too much credit to the, the Quran. And basically what they're saying is, well, the other 1.5 uh, billion people out there don't really know the true nature of Islam. And right. it's just, that's, that's just ignorant. Which we kind of see in the church, too, when some church says all the other denominations are going to hell. Because we've right. seen that over history, right? <laughs> yes, Everyone else have. is wrong, and we're right. That's right. They're, they're pretty sure they're the only ones going. Yeah, that's pretty presumptuous. Yeah, so, okay, that makes sense. That that helps. That clears up a lot of things. Yeah, well, we'll get, we'll get more into it. And like I said, we'll bring uh, a particular expert in on Islamic theology. We're also going to bring in uh, an expert on the Quran who's going to explain to us sort of how the Quran is interpreted and see that same process that, that Muslims go through when they bring a theological interpretation it's just all we need to know right now is that the way that they come up with their theology is equally complex to the way that Christians have come up with theology. Right. And it doesn't, it really stirs me when somebody pulls out one verse out of the Bible and says, you see, you yeah. see what your religion teaches. And I'm just thinking that is so frustrating. And then when I see Christians do it to Muslims, I think that's oh, not fair. Gosh. No, <laughs> that's, that's not fair. That's, <laughs> this is third grade theology. Yeah, just treat others that. how you want to be treated. That's right. 
Yeah. So anyway, there's something to be said for being truthful and just just speaking the truth and not making these straw man arguments about other religions. Yeah, I think our faith is far more robust than that, right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it has to be able to encompass the fact that there are other peoples and how we treat them. You know, isn't uh, dictated by the media, right? It shouldn't be. Wow. But it often is. You're right. It absolutely should not be. Yeah. We should not be taking our theological cues from the media. Wow. It's amazing that we do that. Sometimes we get stuck in that uh, America complex. <laughs> this is America. America, you know. And I love our country, man. I'm, I'm blessed that we live here. But Absolutely. Uh, but it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, Christ has come second to our citizenship, right? Well, Christ is certainly not American. America. Or Republican. Oh, I remember uh, Keith Green. Mm, great guy. <laughs> yeah. Keith Green, I remember uh, him saying that, that, that Jesus Christ is not a Republican. Mm. And everybody was, <gasps> you know? And then he said, he's not even American. And I just thought, oh, man, yeah. we're still dealing with the same issues today. Yeah, I was listening. Keith, Keith I, Green, man. I listened to that when I was like 18 or something, like 19, and I was shocked. I'm like, he's not American? <laughs> we, we need a new Keith Green, a voice in the wilderness. Right, right. Anyway, I think it's time for our goes the dynamite moment of the week boom goes the dynamite all right so here we go this is kind of crazy like uh the boom goes the dynamite should this segment we're really excited about well okay not excited i think that's the wrong term yeah Uh, it's it's exciting but not for the right reasons it's basically somebody has literally dropped a bombshell it's a utter moment of just like what did he just say yeah why 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 would you do that (laughs) (laughs) you almost want to say did he just say that? Yeah. And then you realize that he did. And there's that moment of anticipation. Did he just say that? And yeah. you're kind of hoping he didn't. And then he did. And you're just like, wow. And, and the thing is, like, it's funny to us because we think it's ridiculous. But it's not funny because he was serious when he no, said it. No, it's not funny at all. I mean, unfortunately, it was serious it's, un- it's when unfortunate. He said it. Yeah. It's unfortunate. All right. So here we go. It's Duck Dynasty's Phil Robertson, the patriarch. Right? He has yeah. a massive beard. And he seems like a great guy, just to be honest. Like, I, I've seen the show a couple times. He seems like a really nice guy. He does. He, 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 this isn't the first time where he's kind of uh, maybe said some things that he shouldn't have in yeah. the media. You almost want to pull him aside or somebody pull him aside and just say, don't meet with the media. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the shock and awe of the Gulf War, you know, George Bush era. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like he just kind of has that method. I'm going to shock and awe you because he knows it's not political work. Maybe he hates being politically correct. You know, some people like that. They just want to yeah. do what's opposite. But come on. These are people. Okay. So it's this- almost like he's swinging the pendulum to the other side against political correctness. Let me just see how radical I can say something and stir people up. Right. And so this is what he says. Here we go. He's talking about ISIS, and he says, convert them or kill them. Convert them or kill them. And boom goes the dynamite. And we are back in, uh, man, the Crusades. (laughs) Welcome back. You thought we were in the 21st century, but we are back in the Crusades. Okay, so I think, honestly, Phil Robertson's has more, more alike with ISIS than he realizes. All right, explain that. Convert or kill? <laughs> right. Do you, do you hear I'm me picking, here? This I'm, is exactly what he's saying. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I mean, convert or kill, that's the same radical theology that ISIS is promoting. And here we have an ordained pastor saying the same thing. Yeah, and he's love preaching from the Bible. That's why I say this whole idea of there's a true nature of Islam. Well, what if we said that Phil Robertson's theology is the true nature of Christianity? Where do we go with that? Yeah, that's what I love about Jesus is that he's not like everyone else. <laughs> 
No, I mean he—he he, like you said, he seems like a really nice guy. I've watched the show. I like the show. There's some entertaining things on the show, but the bottom line is, I think he just got this wrong. He's got a dynamite beard. I think that if he were to go into the <laughs> Middle East, they would welcome him as an older man with a time. big dynamite beard, and yeah. he would just connect. He'd be drinking a people. lot of tea. And I don't doubt that he would try to share the gospel with them. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that if they did not accept Christ, that he would not try to kill anyone. Well, what he says is that he'd much rather have a Bible study with all of them, but was also prepared for a gunfight alone. Against ISIS. A Against gunfight. ISIS, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen the guy. I mean, like, you know, he looks like he's in okay shape. He's a duck hunter. But I'm not so sure if he could take on a military army. Dude, he could take two ducks at the same time. Tell you what. I think, I think he was just speaking off the cuff and was a little bit too <laughs> presumptuous. I mean, if the United States airstrikes aren't slowing down ISIS, right. I'd highly doubt that his shotgun skills are going to do it. Yeah. And I, you know, that's the thing about, uh, I don't know the, the, the media, it just seems really cartoonish. And I think Phil Robertson's kind of adding to it. Like, uh, this one gunman, you know, this one gunman that's, you know, well past his prime is going to fight ISIS. Or have a Bible study with him? I'm like, what world, what planet do you come from? He's going to have a Doc Holiday moment. I'm your Huckleberry. Do you want? I mean, like, no, that's not going to happen. You will die, right? Yeah, I, maybe he's underestimating the uh, the military strength of ISIS. I mean, they have gained quite a bit in the last few years in strength. Right, right. And they're going to continue until uh, they're stopped. But uh, this, these kind of, uh, I think these kind of blanket, you know, cartoony kind of statements don't help. Right. Yeah. He should have stopped with, I'd like to have a Bible study with all of them and then maybe just stop right there. Yeah. Because really, you know, ultimately what we're doing here is, as Christians, right? Our, the, the whole point uh, of the mission of God, right, is to, to spread God's glory. And I don't think that does that. No, the destruction of a man who's made in the image of God is not not spreading the glory of God. And as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that ISIS should be loved. Wow. Was that in the Bible? The I'm telling love you, your it's enemy, third grade theology, man. Love your enemy thing? That was a little bit of sarcasm, I'm sorry. I no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm being serious. Yeah, third, right. third grade theology, like I keep coming back to it. Like e even if the Muslim world was all like ISIS, it mm -hmm. would not change my view about we still have to be able to love our enemy. And the bottom right. line is ISIS makes up a small percentage of the Muslim world. Right. Most of the Muslim world I've encountered is quite easy to love. Yep, just like Mr. Khan. Mr. Khan. Yep. I mean, he drove out a hundred and I think he said it was 160 miles round trip to right. pick up. Howard's car for free, a hundred and sixty miles round trip. That would have been like a three hundred dollar tow. But because he was my friend, yep. Mr. Khan's like your friend is my friend. I mean, there is no doubt. I've said it time and time again. I can name a half a dozen Muslims that would willingly lay down their life for me. Right, right. I totally, I, yeah. And I should right be willing to do the same. Yeah, I just think about uh, the Good Samaritan. You know, I think Jesus was. You know, like, I, I don't know, we've heard it so many times and we don't really see the racial tension in that story. No, oh, it's there. But uh, if we were the one that was injured, it would be like an ISIS terrorist coming and helping us. You know, it's like, it's not what I thought. You know, it's, uh, you know, we got to get out of this. I like what you said, the third grade theology. Yeah. We got to get out of that. 
Yeah. No, I'm saying we got to go back to third grade theology. Oh. That's what they teach you in third grade, right? right? You mean we got to obey what the word says? Yes, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I'm saying Be doers of the word, not just hearers. I'm only, saying right? when when my son is talking to me about what he's learning in Sunday school and where he's at in his own walk with God, I'm just sort of like, wow, I'm still learning that one, right? And it's not the the deep areas of theology that I find myself wanting to swim in. It's the simple things like loving my enemy. Yikes. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, boom goes the dynamite. Phil Robertson, let's hope that he has an opportunity to uh, redeem himself and and give a better, better uh, sort of theology. Yeah, a better representation for for the church and, and how we respond to Muslim radicals. Next up, the Carpe Diem Award, or the Encouragement of the Week. That's right. We just referenced to Dead Poet Society. Awesome. Awesome Great movie. movie. Carpe Diem. Season the day. All right. So so who's season the day this week? Yeah. Tell us about... uh Oh, who we right. who we nominated? Yeah, this week we actually have a Muslim as the Carpe Diem Award. Um, this guy, the Grand Mufti of Al Hazar University, uh, arguably the uh, the top scholar in the Muslim world. And what was it exactly? Was his quote, Howard? Um, well, what the what the article was titled as Islam is ISIS is not part of Islam. And that's it says, right. That's right. It's horrific actions are far from Islam. Yeah, he was actually suggesting that we stop calling them ISIS because by calling them ISIS, we're encouraging the idea that there can be an Islamic state that this guy is leading. Yeah, and then he put himself in charge. Yeah. (laughs) I'm the leader. (laughs) You can't just go and say you're the leader. (laughs) Yeah. And so he's publicly going out and he's saying, so what what is a grand mufti? Well, he, he is the top scholar of the top university in all of the Islamic schools in the world, it's arguably Got it. so Al Hazar school, school of Law again. Yes, Al Hazar University is the top university. This is sort of the 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 cradle of knowledge for Islam. So the the uh, in the Islamic world, this guy is oh well respected. Scholar. Well, the most well respected. Okay, so this is not a political stunt by him, like trying to take power from ISIS because. He wants power or something like that. No, I know that, I know that no, sounds kind of ignorant, no, 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 no. Yeah, no. But you're right. I've, I've, I've even already heard people saying, "Well, he's probably just uh, lying and trying to hide the true nature of what they're doing, and they're really all working together." And mm-hmm. th- this is the thing that I keep hearing, and it drives me crazy because do we not realize that even ISIS just went into a partner Al Qaeda group and sent in their own suicide bomber to destroy their own partners because what? there was a competition for a jockeying for position. Yes. Wait, so ISIS sent a suicide bomber into Al-Qaeda? Yes, into another Al-Qaeda group in Syria. So ISIS is the uh, Al-Qaeda group. It used to be Al-Qaeda group in Iraq. Right. And then there's an Al-Qaeda group in Syria. Right. And so uh, mm-hmm. as ISIS has formed, they're no longer part of Al-Qaeda. They've been denounced by Ayman al-Zawahiri, the leader of Al-Qaeda. And right. so what they're doing now is trying to destroy Al-Qaeda. Wow. And so the Grand Mufti is saying, this is not Islam. They have misunderstood the Quran. They do not understand jihad. And we should stop calling them the Islamic State because they are neither Islamic nor a state. Wow. So, okay. So him saying this, the Grand Mufti saying this, is a, is a, you would say is a large representation, representation of the Muslim peoples out there. 
Most definitely. Most definitely. Because when you think about the Muslim world, you're really thinking, what are the individual imams teaching in the different mosques? And all of these imams are going through the same sort of, you know, not the same, but theological training that all comes down from a couple different schools of thought. Uh And the cradle for that, I mean, if I'm trying to think of this as the Harvard of uh, knowledge, you know, for, you know, we think of Harvard as the top uh, Ivy League school. Al-Hazar is the top religious school in Islam. Okay. That makes sense. So these four schools, they, they have this mutual respect for one another? Um, some mutual respect and some disagreement. They, but recognize, I mean, they, they, they recognize, recognize each other. That's what I'm saying. They recognize each other and they recognize what their differences are in their interpretations of the, the Quran and the Hadith and the biography and all the different texts that Islam has. And they have their, their nuances. But for the most part, they all kind of flow within the same stream of orthodoxy for Islam. Right. And so this guy, when he says this... Um, he it has should, a lot. Of, he has a lot of influence over all of these. Groups. Yeah, it should, okay. it carries weight. Wow. Okay. So tell me about this guy. So, like, is it dangerous for him to publicly denounce ISIS? Do you feel? No, in your a, opinion, that's a good question. Because I can't. I, he's not a political leader so much, right? He's not the kind of guy that walks around with an entourage, Secret Service, mm-mm, mm-mm. has his own country. He's just a normal kind of dude, right? That that uh, that represents these top scholars. I'm trying to think of who to compare him to. Um, in America, because America, even American evangelicals, right? There are a few theologians that we kind of prop up as uh, sort of the keepers of orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. I think of uh, J.I. Packer, for oh, yeah, instance. Yeah. Absolutely, J.I. Right? Packer. Yeah. There's not everybody agrees with J.I. Packer, but no one's going to come right out and when J.I. Packer says something and say, "Oh, that's wrong." We're going to take some time and think about it because this guy has committed his life to yeah, scholarship, to, that study, and to yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, you think of another guy. Uh, with the Reformed theologians, definitely you've got uh, John Piper, right. Tim Keller. Right. Um, so we have sort of people that we respect and that we think are producing good theology. And this guy would be the top guy for all of Islam, even though not everyone is going to agree with all of his theology. Right. It matters. Okay, so I know this might be a jump in the wrong direction, but like the Pope? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the Pope. I would say Baghdadi, what he's trying to do is claim the Pope. Okay. So this idea of the Islamic State, um, there is certainly room for that in Islam. Uh-huh. And whoever leads that Islamic State will lead ruling through a theocracy. That will be the caliph. That would be the pope-like figure. I wouldn't say that this man is a pope-like figure. He is a scholar. Okay, let's go into dreamland for a second. All right. Let's say Baghdadi does, for some amazing, miraculous, like bad miracle, uh he after, we're just dreaming here. Yeah, yeah, yeah just he, dreaming. He actually becomes the the caliphate. He is. He's already said it. Well, I mean, like you know, he unifies. I said it. That makes it true. What does that mean if if the Muslim world becomes under a single theocracy? What does that mean for the world in Dreamland? In Dreamland, what does that mean? All right, in Dreamland, there is a because this hope has been this has been done be, right right in yeah, the past several times right, and it hasn't worked yet. Oh. Well, that's encouraging. Right. You have so many Islamic empires that have risen and fallen. And what's ironic is really the reason that they fall is another Islamic empire comes and crushes it. <laughs> okay. So, so division within. Of course. Okay. Okay. So you're basically saying that there's no shot. There's no, there's no chance that this would happen even in dreamland because it's never happened before. It's never happened before, and the only time that there is a 
significant movement of progress and sort of a unity behind the Muslim world is when there's a common enemy. And then when that enemy dissipates, yeah. there's inward fighting. Wow. But we, we, we know that as even Americans, right? I mean, think about the most unified times America's experienced. Common Do you remember enemy. after 9-11? Yeah. Do you remember they used to sing even in, after the take me out to the ball game? They would sing God Bless America. Right. You saw stickers all over people's cars, God right. Bless America. Yep. I mean, it was, that was we were a very unified con- time. Yeah, we were very conscious of our... Of our- being under one nation, this one nation, you know? Yeah. And so there is an Arab proverb that says, it's me against my brother. It's me and my brother against our father. It's me, my brother, and my father against the tribe. It's my family and my tribe against the nation. It's our nation against the world. It keeps going. And so long as there's a common enemy, there's going to be a certain amount of unity. But with ISIS... Um, they have they've not yet gained the uh, popularity with the common uh, with the majority Muslim world. The majority Muslim world is actually looking at ISIS in great terror. Okay, but the reason I bring this up is because I, I'm not saying this against. I don't want to make a blanket statement, but there have been Christian leaders, right, and some uh, proponents of the media that have tried to create this fear tactic that Islam is unifying and they are coming. They are coming. Are we fading? Are we still in dreamland? No, I mean that's what they're saying. And, and oh, they, they. <laughs> I don't want to say this blanket statement, but they, you know, I've read articles where people are warning. You know what? Islam is invading. Yeah, and we and need they, to be they're fearful. Doing it secretly, and we need to stop it, and we need to go to war. I and mean, they come I in and they pretend to be moderate, and then when they gain enough popularity, they're going to take over, and within 15 years, America will be a Muslim country, and yes. Europe will be a Muslim country, yes. and the entire Russian army will be Muslim. I saw that YouTube video. Yeah, what yeah. is that nonsense then? Because what you're saying is that that cannot happen, correct? It's a complete and utter fear tactic, fear mongering sort of argument because the the bottom line is when you look at uh so let's let's just take for instance if we had a muslim immigrant that moved here and let's say he was a little bit radical in nature okay a little bit crazy he got in somehow and he has this secret agenda okay and then his kids go to high school maybe Uh, his kid starts dating a cheerleader okay Maybe his kid starts using drugs. Maybe his kid, like every other American kid, uh, begins to kind of explore and own individual identity. Right. It's not so simple to think that just because a Muslim comes here, he's going to have eight children, and those eight children are going to marry eight other uh, Muslim children, and all this radical ideology will just kind of multiply all the way down. Right. What we know for sure is that he comes in maybe with his five or six kids, yep. and then his five or six kids get married and have one or two kids, maybe three. And then their kids may or may not even marry within their own faith, and they may or may not even have any kids. Right. And so if you take this mathematical anomaly and you just look at it and say, well, we have, you know, we have three million Muslims, and they're all going to get married, and they're going to produce, you know, this many million. I'm not a mathematician, so I don't want to just throw out numbers there, but this many million. And then you do the (laughs) exponential multiplication, and the next thing you know, the majority of America is Muslim. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's... Just not true. Actually, I should say fortunately, right? Yeah. Fortunately, that's just not true. Yeah. It's not what's happening. It's not reality. Wow. But it did make a good YouTube. It did. It was, it was, exciting. It was scary. Yeah. I watched it and I was like, oh man, I can't sleep. And then, <laughs> you know, I had to like turn on a, a fun, you know, little sitcom just so I could sleep that night. Yeah. 
Wow. And that, that, see, that's what I'm saying. And that's what the, you know, and I'm not saying the media because, you know, who is the media? But, you know, there are proponents, proponents in the media that just kind of help us uh, uh, to go into the wrong direction, I think. You know, it's like I tell my kids not to watch horror movies because it just kind of makes them feel helpless. I right? love scary movies. Yeah. I can't help it. <laughs> but when they, you know, like it, whenever you watch a horror movie, the, the the number one thing you're not thinking is, oh, there's definitely power in God. <laughs> you're not thinking that. I'm, thinking, I'm absolutely thinking that. I'm thinking, I'm so scared right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, help me. <laughs> My legs have gone completely numb. <laughs> no, but I that, need Jesus, right? This moment. <laughs> but, I, you know, like you leave that movie theater and you're like, man, that guy got out and he was lucky. But it wasn't like the power of God, no, you know. No, you're right. And, and and when you when you watch certain media outlets, you know, you just kind of think the same thing. You're just like, oh no, they're coming. And I just, you know, I just it, don't it, think that helps. It's kind of like watching Jaws right before you go to the beach with your kids. Right, you don't go in the water. Yeah, because yeah. if it's really rough out, man, I'm just going to put on Jaws. Kids Whoa. aren't going to go swimming. Yeah, that's kind of messed up. No, I told I told my wife we would never watch that movie with the kids just because I, I honestly, I mean, I grew up surfing, grew up in the water and swim all the time. Every time I'm in the water, I feel like I can hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just see mm-hmm. this uh, video camera pan from the bottom. You see your feet dangling. Right? <laughs> and even if I'm in a freshwater lake, I'm thinking, seriously. <laughs> There's something. That bull sharks have been known to There's swim some- up rivers. That's messed up, man. Do not say that. And alligators. I did not plan to get eaten. Anyway, I don't know how we got off on that. Well, the media is the the media. media. The media is trying to eat us. Yes. That's what you're trying to say. The media is trying to eat us. The media is Jaws. It's Jaws. And we're surfing. We're just having a good time. Beware. Right. When you hear the media, this is what I tell people when I'm speaking at a church and and they're asking me, you know, Mm -hmm. I I got this email the other day and I say, okay, yeah, I should. I should start doing the noise when they say, I got this email. And I always ask them, did the email that you received, the email forward, did it cause you to A fear muslims or b love and want to reach out to muslims wow and if it caused you to be afraid i say delete and even reply to the person who sent it and said i'm not interested in spreading fear i'm interested in spreading the love of god wow that's a great filter it is i mean what 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 good are we doing by making people afraid yeah no good no good no good because it takes the power out of it i mean there's like you know the lord has given us a command right Make disciples of all nations, and that I think that that fear, that powerlessness, I don't think that uh, that aids us in any way. Yeah, we'll do a whole podcast on the Jonah syndrome. All right. Yeah, which leads us to our next segment, the resource of the week. Who do we got here, Trevor? We have an excellent resource this week. We've got a uh, new book, David Garrison, A Wind in the House of Islam. Cool. I'm going to say that again, but if you could give like a okay, here we go. All right. Let's try. New book by David Garrison, A Wind in the House of Islam. That was good. I, I thought that was great. Was, we, we need to send that to Garrison that and see if he shot. wants to add that. We didn't, we didn't even practice that, guys. Excellent book written by David Garrison, a uh, for, uh, former church planter. He actually wrote the book uh, Church Planting Movements as well, which was uh, another kind of game changer back in the day in, yeah. the, in the 80s, I believe it was. Yeah. Remember, I mean, we read that. Yeah, and, we did. Yeah. It was a game changer. Absolutely. I think it's still a game changer. But this one, I think, is an even bigger game changer because there is so much division and polarization with the Muslim world and so much negativity that when you read this book, Mm -hmm. you will actually be encouraged about what God is doing. You'll be reminded that God is at work. Wow. I haven't even read this book, but I want to read it now. You did a good job. Yeah. I mean, that's a great job. I didn't, I didn't write it. No, no, no. Great job in like, Oh, getting you excited. It's like reading Rainbow. You remember that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
if you want to read the, if you want to find out what happens next, you got to read the book. There you go. <laughs> I was like, reading oh, rainbow. you got me again. That's what we should call the resource time is oh, the reading rainbow read. time. We could get the, uh, uh, do you take think we get sued? In a book. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's, we could get we could get Lamar we could get Lamar to yes. come and announce that part. Anyway, David yeah. Garrison's book is excellent. We're actually going to work really hard to get him on the show. So hopefully, uh, he's going to be coming to Columbia International University at the beginning of next year. They have their annual Evangelical Missiological Society. It's a mouthful, right? Is there and like a nothing that we he, can shorten that with? EMS, the Evangelical mm. Missiological Society. So he's the keynote speaker, and that's going to be, I believe it's in March. We'll definitely get the uh, the time on that because he's going to be here, and we're going to try to get him as a guest on the show to just yes. talk about his book and really encourage you guys, uh, take a look. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sorry, he, didn't, he didn't practice that one either. That was off the cuff. Yeah. No. I, I, I don't like this thing. I hope that was... Not too bad. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get with, uh, with Garrison and hopefully he'll join us on the show and talk about all the things that he's doing because what he reminds us of is that God is at work in the Muslim world. Right. We need to remember that. Yeah. I don't know. And just something I wanted to say, uh, this podcast is not getting you to just love Muslims for Muslims sake. Right. It's really because we have a mission, right? We have a purpose. We have a, and it's not man focused this mission. It is not man-focused. Yeah. If it's all about the idea of, I'm going to go out and I'm going to engage in the mission of God because people need Jesus, trust me, that motivation will be short-lived. It's yeah. about God. Yeah. And he's in control. Right. He is working. Because, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, going through my head, thinking about some people being like, you know, trying to write us off because they think Telling we're... Telling me to love Muslims. Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. And uh, they just can't handle it. And I just want to say that up front. You know, this is bigger than just people. Right. Yeah, it's not about people. It's not even really about Muslims. It's about God. Right. Man, maybe we should change the name of the show. The Truth About God. Wow, that's kind of presumptuous, isn't it? Yeah, we can't do that. But one thing I am really excited about is bringing Muslims onto the show. Absolutely. Right? Some yes. of our friends. and Man, we ought to make one of our first Muslim guests, Mr. Khan, since yes. we, we totally uh, shared his story. About... He would be so awesome. He would be. That's right. And you can just imagine us drinking tea as we make this podcast. Because mm-hmm. that's what we'd be doing. He does make excellent tea as it well. It was delightful. Yeah, I got to tell you. <laughs> all right. All right. Don't forget that you guys can call in, write in, whatever you like. We'll put all of the show notes on the website. That's We'd right. love to hear your questions, hear your feedback. Eventually, once we get enough people listening, yeah. we'll have questions and answers. Yes, a discussion we would love to be able to discuss that. And I'm, you know, I'm the guy here that doesn't know much. I'm just kind of an entertaining personality that's friends with Trevor, so I'm doing this podcast. Trevor's the guy who knows more, and of course, he has the connections with uh, all of these experts and PhDs experts. and stuff like that. So um, realize that uh, I'm, I'm going to be here for you. For those that don't know much about Islam, they don't know mu- much about Muslims, right? I'm going to be the guy asking like the questions like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? Right? So that's what I'm here for. So write in those questions and I'll be glad to ask those questions, right? As so, you write the question, Howard's going to literally go, oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I was wondering the same thing. Excellent right? question. We're on the same page. And he's going to ask it and I'm going to go, I have no idea. I know. I feel like we're friends already. This is great. All right. I don't even know all of you listeners, but we're all friends now. And we, we want to ask you guys one last favor. Right. Spread the word. We want people to listen to this podcast. <laughs> we do, because otherwise our wives are going to be like, what are you guys doing up there? Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like you, you disappear for a couple hours we on do Monday afternoons, we and do we hear a lot, lot of laughing, but right. no one's actually listening to the podcast. Yeah, that would be unfortunate. That would be sad. 
So yeah. listen to the podcast, spread the word, get other people to listen. And as we generate some more people listening, we'll be able to bring on more people and do uh, more segments. So yeah, cool appreciate things. you guys listening this right. week. Uh, so that's that. That's it for The Truth About Muslims. Episode number one. Educate yourself beyond the media. Thank you so much for listening.